Thank you, musicians. I'm taking the top off this bottle because I think I'm going to need it this morning. My voice is going. Berries was also, he said, but with singers, when they have a raspy voice, that's considered cool now. But when you're speaking, it can be annoying, especially to me. you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, you might want to turn to the book of Nehemiah. In the Old Testament, I would give you the page number, but I don't have one in my Bible, and it wouldn't help you anyway. But if you know where Psalms is and you go back about three books, uh, you've got uh, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and then Psalms. And I'm looking to start with that chapter 1. I didn't realize that there was something happening for the grads this morning, and so I'm encouraged to know God's leading in a lot of ways, but uh, some of the grads have slipped out, I think, to help with the children, but uh, there's a lot of young people here facing futures that might be a little bit uncertain, and you, you know that you've been taught that God will lead and guide, you've memorized some of the verses about God's guidance and so on. But I believe that the story of Nehemiah is particularly encouraging for those of you who are looking at what your future is going to bring. And it's also a great book for all of us, a very book of great encouragement to those that have even been on the way for a while. And, And for those who feel like failures, those of you who have gone through your lives and you've known the way, but you just seem to keep falling back somehow, And uh, so I think there's maybe something for everybody here this morning. Now, I was particularly encouraged when I came here this week, and there was a sign-up that said, uh, starting today, Cross Church goes to the beach, and I thought, I'm off the hook. (laughs) Either that or I was going to be preaching from a boat just offshore. I'm not sure. (laughs) Don't laugh. It's been done. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Marilyn Wedlake, and I'm pinch-hitting for Pastor Allen this morning. Uh, Dennis mentioned that he's away with Jesse, and uh, so Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes I. He was the emperor of Persia, which is the modern state of Iran. And being cupbearer wasn't like a butler like we might think, uh, just somebody who brought the king his stuff. He was, this was a very, very high position in the kingdom. He was very close to the king. Uh, he was, uh, had to be a very trusted individual. And uh, it wasn't great job security because one of his major jobs was to test the wine before the king drank it in case it was poisoned. And the king didn't often have few enemies. He had many. So it uh, could be a short-lived job. But... Uh, When this book opens, no doubt it was just another day at the palace as usual. And uh, he did more than just bring the cup. He had some administrative duties and uh, was very much depended upon by the king. Perhaps on this day he looked at his day timer and uh, realized he was going to have to tell the king that one of his chariots needed to tune up. And uh, just an ordinary day. But he had a visitor, Nehemiah's brother, Hananiah. 
and some others who had just returned from a visit from Jerusalem. But it turned out to be a very extraordinary day in his life. Now, this often happens uh, to us. Maybe some of you remember back at a time when um, an event happened in your life, perhaps a visitor, perhaps a sermon, perhaps just some other event in your life somebody had spoken to you, and it was a life-changing thing for you, uh, perhaps for your future even. Um, And this is what happened to Nehemiah. It happened to others in the scripture. You'll remember Esther tried out for a beauty contest, and God worked things in such a way that she won this contest, and she ended up being the one who saved the Jews from extinction. Uh, It was another day in the life of Gideon, when he was out hiding behind the barn thrashing wheat to keep it from the enemy, the Midianites, and there was all sorts of ites in there. But they just, the Bible said, they took over the the nation like like grasshoppers. And uh, he received a visitor. And this visitor hailed him as a mighty man of valor. And Gideon, if you read the story, is quite taken back by this. He says, oh, no, can't, can't mean me. Like, I'm the least in my father's house and the smallest tribe. And uh, you can't mean me. But God used him and his 300 men to save Israel from the oppression of all these enemies and, and made them go on the run. It was just another day in the life of a young girl who received some astounding news from a visitor that she would be the one through whom the Savior of the world would be born. Just everyday people, ordinary people, but obviously people that had a heart unto God and that he knew would respond to him. It was another ordinary day in the life of a pint-sized tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And he climbed up a tree so he could see when Jesus passed by. And Jesus called him down and went to his house to dine. And Zacchaeus ended up just changing, restoring to people all he had taken and more, became a follower. And you need to know that God is always looking for ordinary people through whom he can do extraordinary things. And we'll find that out because Gideon, uh, Nehemiah, as he goes on in this story, you find out that he in all ways gives God the glory for everything that happens. Knows that it's God that's working through all of this. And God's interested in people that are humble enough to acknowledge that they need God. And uh, it's when we come to that place where we realize our need of him and what we're doing and, and our humility that he can use us. Otherwise, we're just going to be out there doing things in our own way, in our own time, in our own strength. And it's not God that is able to accomplish what he will. We need to be open to that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit and be ready to do whatever it is, large or small, that God wants us to do. Pastor Allen calls these things the choreography of the Holy Spirit, where he allows events or people to come into our lives which cause us to really stop and think, and, and maybe it's a challenge, maybe it's a, a rebuke, maybe it's a, something that will just change our direction, but we, we see that God works in these ways. Now, Nehemiah would have known that the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, and that was the message that his brother had given him, that they had had this visit to Jerusalem and that the city walls and gates were in ruin. Uh, There had been an exile. Some of you may recall 
those of you that have been reading through the scriptures, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had come in upon Jerusalem and destroyed it, knocked down the walls, the temple, and left it, and, and did something also that was very strange for him to do. Uh, rather than let other people come and inhabit it, he just left it to be that this would be it. It would just be in ruins. And then he took people back. Now, there were some that had escaped and gone to different countries, but he took people back with him to Babylon. And Nehemiah's family was obviously in that group, his, perhaps his, his great-great-grandfathers. And so he would have known, he would have been brought up in the Jewish way, and he would have known about Jerusalem and the state that it was in. But several years before, uh, the exiles had been allowed to go home. Those that wanted to go back to Jerusalem could go to Jerusalem. And so many of them did. And the idea was that they would go back and they would build the temple because that was a, such an important part of their worship. And so they wanted to go back there, and they wanted to be able to build the temple and the walls and so on, but it took them a long time to do this, and they had great opposition from the Gentile nations around that did not want to see this happen. You see, Israel, Jerusalem in particular, was very, very important to the Jewish people. A few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever, I, I had spoken on about the Ark of the Covenant and how God had had this built because he wanted to come and dwell with people. And then after that, uh, David had brought the ark to uh, Jerusalem. And there, uh, after a while, God had allowed him uh, or his son Solomon to build the temple that God would dwell in. And so uh, we find that this was a central part of Jewish life. The temple was important because it represented the place where God dwelt on earth. And it was, it was symbolic. But um, that temple was broken down. And so the Jews, there's just a part of them that was always missing, that they could not go and do their sacrifices back in, in the temple in Jerusalem. They couldn't live there. And I was reminded of a chorus that we used to sing and it's a little bit different in the King James, so some of you might not recognize it in the NIV. But uh, just an idea of how some of the people, if you read through the Psalms, you'll find much written about Jerusalem, that holy city, the city of God. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon in Mount, is Mount Zion the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And there's many, many psalms that talk about Jerusalem, that holy city. And so Jer um, Nehemiah would certainly have known about Jerusalem and knowing what had happened to it. But sometimes, I don't know about you, you know that old adage that says that what you don't know can't hurt you. And so although he knew that there were people that had gone back and had been allowed to rebuild, he, he never really heard what the report was, what had happened to that, what had happened to this building. And so his brother and some of his friends came back from a visit to Jerusalem and they gave this report that the walls and the gates were not up. Now, this was a, 
a, a very sad thing for the Jewish. It was an embarrassment to the Jewish people because the city had been walled. This left them open to their enemies. It left them open to ridicule and scorn. Um, and so I'm looking at Nehemiah 1, and I'm going to read a little bit of it. In the month of Kislev, now I couldn't help but wonder why we didn't have that in our calendar, because I like that name. It was around November, December. I could have been born in Kislev. And I think, I like that. We need some changes. I was in the citadel of Susa. So, so Nehemiah is, is in Persia, which is the modern-day Iran. And that's where he, he is, and that's where the emperor is of, of the uh, Artaxerxes of Persia. And he said, I was in the citadel of Susa, that was the winter play part for the kings. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some, of, uh, some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I, re- I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, so he gets this news, and this is a turning point in his life that he has this news. Now, he could have walked away from it, but I believe that the Holy Spirit was at work here just uh, doing something in his life, and, and he g- grabbed onto it, and uh, he wasn't the one kind that would uh, rather not know because then he might have an obligation to do something about it. That's what happens sometimes. You hear about somebody who's in the hospital, you'd rather not know because you know they don't have anybody to visit them, and that might mean that uh, you might have to go over and do that. Or, or you might hear about somebody who is, uh, who is uh, having a difficult time financially, and uh, you go through your own head that you're having your own troubles right now, you know, it's too bad, and so on. But you'd really rather that the other person hadn't told you because now you know. And when you know, then you might have to do something about it. So thankfully, uh, Nehemiah was obedient to God, and uh, he was going to do something about it. And the first thing he does, and this is very important for us to realize here, uh, when God speaks to you and, and you feel something inside of you, you need to do it, he immediately goes to prayer. And not just a little prayer. It says that he mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he says, I love this prayer. I'm going to pray it through. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps, keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He knows God. He knows uh, who it is that he's speaking to and that he, he's a God of love and that he's a God who's a covenant-keeping God. And that was important as we read on. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess, so following this acknowledgement of who God is and asking him to hear his prayer, he begins with confession, and that's often the most appropriate thing that we can do at that point, is that before we go to God with anything else, we need to take a look at things that maybe need to be confessed, whether we know them, we, we can't think of one at the moment, and I'm sure we all could. I didn't have any problem at all. Uh, we still have at that point uh, 
We know that the things that we want to do, we don't do, and the things that we shouldn't do, we do, as the Apostle Paul tells us. And so he confesses the sins, we Israelites, including myself, and he hasn't even been there, but he includes himself in this because he has been uh, shutting his eyes to perhaps what it was that God needed to have done including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So there was a warning to the Jews, and uh, they didn't listen. I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me, then even and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So there's a promise in here. There was a promise that was given to Moses and passed down as to what was going to happen. If you don't obey me, then I'm going to scatter you to the far corners of the earth. But, and that's always a wonderful thing, Uh, There's good news and bad news here, and that was the bad news. The good news is that if you repent, then I'm going to take you back and put you in the place where I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in Revering your name, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then he just adds this little P.S. I was cupbearer to the king. And I guess that explains the presence of the man that he was going to have to find favor with. As you go on in reading, and I I encourage you to read this book. Actually, uh, uh, the books of Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah all almost read as one. They're all the same period, time period. They deal with the exiles and so on. And don't, I, I, I encourage you, don't stay away from the Old Testament. Jesus preached from the Old Testament. He, he, uh, he refers back to it so many times. And uh, some of the great stories that are in here, and I, I hesitate to use the word story simply because we think that that's fictional then, but great accounts of the great, great heroes of of the Old Testament and how God has used them. And, uh, and they're encouraging. They can encourage you so much, especially the number of times that Israel failed God and, and how he always brought them back. Pastor Allen spoke for a while on, on the prodigal son. And, and uh, it's just a great, great uh, thing to read some of these accounts. And they're such an encouragement to know that even when we fail and even when we we turn our backs and we don't serve God the way we should, that when we repent, that he takes us back and he he still loves us. And so we find that Nehemiah, as he goes on, and I I just want to read that chapter 1 to get us going on what was happening. And uh, what we find is that Nehemiah uh, now has his direction from God, and he knows he has to go to the king and to ask for some favors. And that was a very, very fearful thing to do because if you came into the king's presence uh, and he wasn't pleased with what you were saying, you would be put to death. And so you can imagine that there was some fear there, but he was emboldened 
by what he had to do, believing that God was directing him, he went and asked the king. He asked him, uh, actually he went in front of the king. It was about four months later, so he did a lot of praying in there. And uh, when the time was right, and God provides the opportunity, he went in before the king and he was looking a little bit downhearted. Now the interesting thing is the king noticed that. So that says something about Nehemiah's character, because obviously... Normally, he was not like that, so that the king would notice when he was a bit down. When he served the king, when he was on the job, he didn't take home with him. He didn't uh, bring his troubles with him. He was always up and, and uh, encouraging the king and serving him with a happy heart, as God's people always ought to do. And the king notices that he's not, um, he said, you're not, you're not sick, so you must be uh, sad at heart. What is the problem? So Nehemiah told him about Jerusalem, the place where his fathers were buried, and and how he needed him to allow him to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem and the gates of Jerusalem that were torn down and burned. And uh, the king, and I think it's wonderful how Nehemiah puts in here, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, he knew it. The king granted my requests. There was no reason why he should grant this request, uh, especially because some years before, some people uh, made a complaint that the Jewish people were just trying to rebuild the walls and so on so that uh, they could come and take over from the king and defeat the king and rebel against him. And an edict went out from the previous king that says, no, you can't keep building it. So they had to stop. So now he's coming, and that was still on record, so he could have stopped it, but Because the gracious hand of his God was upon him, the king granted his request. He knew that it was God's doing. Nehemiah, this man of prayer, there's 12 instances of prayer recorded in this book. It opens with a prayer, it closes with a prayer. Obviously a man of faith who depends wholly on the Lord to help him accomplish the work he had called him to do. He succeeded because he depended on God. The late Alan Redpath said regarding church ministry today, there is too much working before men and too little waiting before God. When he went, and the story is all in here, he got some people together and inspired them. It's a great leadership story. Inspired them to get building these walls. And as he did you can be sure that whenever you begin to do God's work, that you'll meet opposition. And there was a lot of opposition that they met. There was fear and intimidation. Their enemies were threatening to kill them if they kept on doing the work. That would be enough to turn some people back, I think. There was scorn and mocking, and someone as well said that there are people who could stand up against threat of death, but they couldn't stand up against ridicule. And that's a very, very difficult thing that Satan uses, especially with young people, um, that to ridicule them for serving God, to ridicule them for uh, trusting in God and for even coming to church. And uh, many, many young people have turned away because of ridicule from peers, the peer pressure. A lot of scorn and mocking. I mean, Tobiah, one of the guys who was uh, very vocal, 
was one that said, you know, if a fox ran up on these stones, it would fall down. Not the fox, but the wall. And they called them feeble Jews, not knowing that the Jews knew that when they were weakest, that's when they were strong in God's strength and might. And, and certainly uh, Nehemiah in here prays that the hand of God's strength would, would just strengthen him and keep him. Uh, false reports went back to the king, accusing Nehemiah of rebelling. And Nehemiah combined faith and works. You know, God doesn't do for us what we can do for ourselves. He'll call us to something, and he'll use our gifts and our talents. He'll use our time and our money, and he expects us to use all of those things to get the job done. But he is the one that will be there to help us and strengthen us and encourage our hearts and lift our spirits when we need it. And so all of these things came along, but they worked and they prayed, and they trusted. And, and I thought it was interesting to read uh, some time ago, it grabbed my attention, that, that when they had to watch out for the enemies, what they had to do was they had to go up on the wall, and they would work with one hand, and they would have their sword with the other, always watching. And of course, uh, in the New Testament, we hear about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and how we need to have that word of God with us at all times. Not necessarily the Bible. This is just a book, in case you didn't know. It's what's contained in it that's important. And if we have it with us, if we're memorizing it, if we're, if we're meditating on it so that we know it, then we can be sure that while we're going through these things that are sometimes struggles, that the word of God is, is with us and, and that God will bring to our remembrance the things that we need at the time when we need it. And it will be an encouragement to us. When the wall was completed, Nehemiah says, and all their enemies heard about it, they lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah 6.16 says that. That this was a tribute to this awesome God. That the Israelites could not have done this. It took 52 days only to complete this wall, and the gates have the gates up. And, uh, and so what we need to know this morning is something else that's important, and that is that where in times past in the history of the Old Testament and so on, God uh, dwelt among men in the Ark of the Covenant, his presence was there, dwelt among men in the temple that was built at Jerusalem by Solomon, and now the temple is rebuilt. But in our day, we know that that's not how it works. That God no longer dwells in temples made with hands, but dwells in the hearts of believers. Dwells in you and in me. And so we can draw the analogy here to what we've heard to today and the things that we go through. And it's more than about just building walls and gates. It's the story of restoring a whole people that were in ruin and in despair and bringing them to a new walk with God. This place where God dwells, he now dwells with us, those of us that are believers who have asked for his spirit to come and live within us. And now... Our humanity, unfortunately, the people around us, for the most part, are lost. And we, as New Testament Christians, God wants to use to help restore 
It's a picture, Jerusalem in ruins, a picture of some lives that have been lost. Their, their defenses have gone down against attacks of the enemy, open to repeated hurt and discouragement and despair. You all need to look at TV and you realize the state that our countries are in, the misery of people whose walls are broken down. Jerusalem in ruins is a, a picture of people that are in despair, open to attacks of the enemy. It's a book, Nehemiah is a book that shows how recovery can be from ruin and into conditions of peace and security. And God needs to be a part of that restoration process. The greatest delusion today is that we do not need God, that we can do whatever we want to do, and that's because we have so much that we can rely on ourselves. It's amazing how many Christians live on this basis of just trusting in self, depending on self. It's easier to depend upon ourselves to do things and ignore the need for God in this process, but only with his help can we actually change and recover from the damage and the ruin that's been done in the past. If we take Jerusalem as a symbol of our own lives, it's, it's possible that there are people here who fit this description. No longer any ability to resist the destructive attacks of the enemy. Fallen victim to some habits and now find it difficult, if not impossible, to break. That's the kind of ruin that is described in this book. How do you recover from that? Well, Nehemiah sat down and wept and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He took the matter to God. Take all the time you need and pour out your requests to him. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him what you can't tell anybody else. That's a good way to start. The Bible tells us that a broken and a contrite spirit is what pleases God. So in humility, go to him and, and just ask him for help. Nehemiah recognized the character of God and that he was a loving God and that he's a God of power and he can do things in your life that you cannot do for yourself and just somebody else helping can't. Secondly, he confessed his sins. There was no sense trying to, and there is no sense trying to blame others. There comes a time where you have to look at yourself and, and realize that this is something that you have to do. Thirdly, he was reminded, he reminded God of his covenant, that he's a God of forgiveness and he's a God of restoration. When the heart is right, when your relationship with God is right, we hear that time and time again, then other things can fall into place. Your heart is right with God. And so forgiveness is a part of restoration. And God can change external circumstances as he did in this situation and make it entirely different. And he promises to do this, and he will. And so the messages this morning have to do with two. For you younger people and those of you that are looking at your future and wondering what it holds, uh, Take it to God. Watch for the things, the opportunities in your life that God will give you. You could miss it. You could miss an opportunity because you're not understanding that God wants to use you and wants to 
put you uh, on his team, wants to strengthen you, wants to encourage your heart, wants to lead you, wants to guide you. The future can seem very scary, and you need God in that. And for the rest of us to understand that uh, God lives in us, and that when we fail, uh, and we falter, and we we don't live the way we should, that he's a covenant-keeping God, and all we need to do is go back to him and ask for his forgiveness, and know that he restores us because he loves us, and because he wants us to live a life that is good for us. So if you are longing to be free from old habits or old attitudes or old practices, and perhaps the wrong kind of friends, then examine your walls and your gates this morning and go to God and and pray and confess and seek his face. Today, we're just the Sunday before Canada Day, and we received something from our national office which tells us that this is a national day of prayer for our government And that's very appropriate, that we should pray for our city and our province and our country. Because when we look at what's happening in our own society, how the principles of of God, the commandments of God, the statutes of our nation was founded on these things. And now the changes that are happening are breaking down the very fabric of this society And because of that, we're seeing laws being put into place and so on, which are contrary to the will of God, contrary to the laws of God. And when that happens, we're in no different position than the Israelites were long ago, that if we're not praying for our country, if we're not wanting to be part of the change that's in our country, uh, then we're going to see ruin. I believe that. Ruin in lots of lives because of it, for sure. And so this morning, um, on this National Day of Prayer for our government, just before Canada Day, when there will be lots of celebrations and so on, we're going to... Do we have a video? Yep. Was there a verse first that was... There will be barbecues and fireworks and... Flags flying and everybody celebrating, but I wonder how many people will be praying. First Timothy 2, 1, 2a. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority. Take this upon you this week. If you love your country, Nehemiah was a patriot. I consider myself a patriot, but I have to tell you, I don't pray for my country like I should. For those that are in in leadership over us, those that are in authority over us, it's right that we should do this. Prayers, requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. I'm going to ask you to stand while we watch a final video. Thank you, Carolyn, for leading that. Let's pray. Father, like Nehemiah, we come to you this morning again, and we declare that you are an awesome God. And we bring before you our country. 
And we ask, Lord, for a move of your spirit across this nation. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to people, maybe some of these young people, speak to all of our hearts. If we can't do anything else, we certainly can pray. And Lord, lay it upon us this morning that we should pray for our city officials. We should pray for our provincial MLAs and our premier. That we should pray for those in Ottawa who are governing over us. We ask, Lord, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your your name was once echoed across this country. And now we fear that Bit by bit, we're not going to be able to do this. The privileges that we've had, we have taken for granted, Lord, and we we confess that this morning. And we ask your forgiveness. And you have told us that if we, your people, would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, yes, even turn from our wicked ways, that you would hear from heaven and you would heal our land. And we ask you, Lord, this morning that you would heal our land. Lord, that you would just move in a very special way. And we thank you for that. Now we pray, Lord, that you would, by your word, speak to our hearts this morning. And let this be a day of change where where we find what it's like that you take ordinary people and you can do extraordinary things, even if it's not as big as building the walls of a city but speaking to somebody who needs to be spoken to, touching somebody's life at work, at school, wherever. God, move in our hearts and our lives that your name might be glorified in every way. I'll go with each one as they go their ways. May this be a blessed day for each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.